Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Always mess that up, but it always you had it really. It. There's a button. You had it nailed down. There's a section in the early of this goings button. of having the fart button. Oh my god! And now it's it's like coughing by getting There's a section of this button that has an infinity symbol on it, and I specifically do not click that button because it would just play <laughs> the same fart noise. So we could be listening like to Diabolik just over and over again at infinitum. Leak. <laughs> Diabolik. Uh, yeah. Well, that's uh, how we're going to start this episode of, of Try Love. It's a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met or both uh, at or through the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm trying to add some spice in 2021. Wow. This is episode 162, bud. Bud, it's oh, 2022. God. That's the spice. Is that hey, all right. what year it is as well? Uh, this uh, You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Get tickets and merch and uh, membership and all sorts of cool other ways to support them uh, materially at trilon.org uh, my name is jason daphnis it isn't me that loves cinema but cinema that loves me and you can find <laughs> me on twitter at nintendo yeah the quote that everybody picked not me suckers i am destined to make podcasts and destined to hate doing it i'm cody Ooh. narvison and you can find me on twitter at cody underscore wow. bh uh it's not me who loves jason it's Jason who loves me. Uh, I'm Harry Mack, oh. and you can find me on Shiitake Harry. Jason took mine. It, it, that was not <laughs> evident. My name is Aaron, uh, and as a person who doesn't like needles, this film that we're going to talk about made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, and you can find me on Twitter at RB, please. Uh, we are very pleased to be joined by returning guest Kelly Krantz. Thank you very much, Kelly, for being on this episode of Try Love. Tell us where we can find you and stuff. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm Kelly. I'm on Twitter at Kranzakaga underscore, and uh, I'm a very special guy. <laughs> See, she found one. How I good is you, Harry? Uh, <laughs> Kelly, I've been meeting you. I have three. You? Oh, wow. You had three of them. Oh, you my God. You couldn't have given me one of those? <laughs> over, over, over prepared for this episode. Uh, but I will let Aaron actually introduce the, the purpose of this episode. Um, Listen to uh, listen to Kelly's previous episode about Wings of Desire uh, if you get a chance, listeners. Um, but for right now, let's uh, carry on with with this episode. Uh, Aaron, you want to give us that sweet, sweet uh, patented Aaron Grossman summary? Yes, thank you. Uh, we are talking about Arabato, a uh, 1979 film. Uh, it is a Spanish word that means rapture. Uh, it is directed. Uh, it, is, it is a Spanish film uh, directed by film director uh, Ivan Zulueta. Um, a horror film director and heroin addict, Jose Sergato, who is played here by CBO uh, Poncella, uh, goes down a dark filmic rabbit hole when he meets uh, his ex-girlfriend's cousin, Pedro, uh, played by Will Moore, um, an odd homemade filmmaker who has become obsessed uh, with making films uh, uh, made up of, of time-lapse photography. Pedro mails Jose a mysterious reel of film, uh, as well as a cassette tape in which he details the results of his experiments uh, into time-lapse uh, filmmaking, uh, which begin to kind of take this weird, uh, mysterious, supernatural uh, turn. Uh, also in the film uh, are Cecilia Roth playing Anna Turner, Jose's ex-girlfriend and fellow uh, kind of heroin addict, um, and Marta uh, Fernandez Miro uh, as Marta, um, Jose's other ex-girlfriend and Pedro's cousin. Um, the film has been kind of 
uh, kind of well known as a cult film uh, for many years, uh, well regarded in specifically kind of or, uh, horror and kind of art house film circles, um, but had not gotten true a uh, claim you could say kind of until a recent uh, international re-release uh, in 4k by film distributor altered innocence um the film should uh, probably also be taken sorry if i'm stealing anything from you later on kelly but the film should probably be taken kind of into context uh with kind of spanish film and history as a whole um fascism uh, ended uh, in spain uh started to end uh, with the death of uh, Francisco Franco in in 1975. Um, And in the years after his death, uh, Spain would see kind of this explosion of films that tested the limits of what was formerly seen as um, unacceptable under previous authoritarian rule. Um, So drugs, violence, uh, sex, sometimes sex with people of the same gender. Uh, These were all topics that were uh, previously taboo uh, that were all of a sudden uh, becoming more uh, represented heavily in film, including uh, the film we're talking about right now, Arabato. Uh, So Kelly, uh, it is my understanding that you are a big fan. This is uh, a rewatch of this film. I guess, what are your your general thoughts and and how did it kind of hit you on, on this watch? Yeah, what a great intro. I love that you kind of put some context uh, into this film. Um, yeah, I, I first watched it a little over six months ago. Um, I just found a copy on YouTube. It was shortly before the restoration was announced. And, I, you know, I liked it at the time, but I was just maybe spending a little bit too much energy on that first watch, trying to figure out what was going on, how everyone's related, um, you know, what is the timeline that's ever being portrayed. Um, and, you know, honestly, there's some some long parts in the middle where there's this like stream of consciousness kind of you know stuff rolling from Pedro that it makes more sense once you know the fullness of his plan um, and what's going on. So that second watch was really rewarding and I liked it even more. I I liked it the first time, but uh, I could just kind of, you know, take it in uh, a little more, you know, in in a relaxed way. So it was really cool to see it a second time. It was really cool to see it, you know, a gorgeous restoration, although, you know, maybe still some subtitle problems in this version, uh, you know, to check it out at the, at the Trilon. You know, I like um, films with a lot of the themes and, uh, you know, stuff going on um, that, that Arabato has. So it just really struck me. And I'm, uh, I'm really glad that uh, we're able to talk about it today. Cause I think it's going to be really rich discussion. Me too. I, I really, I approached this movie, I had no choice but to approach this movie kind of like how I approach uh, Possession on first watch was, and I'm sure that I'm not the first to make that comparison, but like how irrational people can be in that movie, how like there is a continuous thread and there is a story that you can talk about, but so much of the movie is not in the story. It's not in the plot. Uh, It can be difficult to follow one scene with another and try to like piece it together and figure out why, why that happened next or, you know, what place this has in the overall picture, uh, both literally and like in what you're, what you're watching any minute to minute. Um, And then I realized that's, for me because of the for the first like two thirds of this movie uh pedro is set up as kind of like a um and pedro just for any listeners who maybe have seen it too recently to remember or to you know not recently to remember pedro is the young man who actually does have uh, this obsession with with cinema and sort of has these rapturous experiences uh with with film um he uh he, he's positioned as sort of like this omnipotent this uh at least omniscient all-knowing like character sort of pulling people along pulling the thread of the plot sort of like leading them along in this little mystery story uh and then in the final act of the movie 
um, it's revealed that like he's actually sort of like a willing victim of something else, of something malignant, according to the plot anyway. I mean, thematically, it's it's here and there, but uh, the plot is such that he's actually being, uh, you know, at night being raptured by by the film that's that's uh, taking stock of him. He's um, sort of he will end up being subsumed by it completely. Uh, that whole like um, uh, uh, what is it that they say in um, uh, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, like until the bottle drunk him kind of thing, like this addiction ends up getting the most of him literally. Anyway, I mean to say that because it's sort of split between I don't want to say halves in this movie, but like two thirds of the movie is this mystery you're following along with with Anna and with Jose. And then the final third is like, OK, we, we've starting we're actually starting to peel back the layers of that mystery. We're starting to explain some things. We're starting to give it a structure that's like point A will lead to point B will lead to point C and then there will be an ending. Uh, and but up to that point, I was approaching it as if like, oh, I can sort of see point C somewhere in the in the near distance. Couldn't it is inscrutable. I mean, and Kelly, you might remember this from your first watch. It is inscrutable from like from the get. It is very difficult, at least for me to follow. Uh, I'm I'm not much of a plot guy. Noir tends to go right behind me. But the whole concept of like, will I be able to recognize what was set up in this scene in the next scene or why this existed? It. I don't mean to like make it sound like a completely unapproachable piece of, of filmmaking because it's still very like interesting to watch just entirely the form and structure threw me so, so heavily. Did anybody else have that experience of just like not, not really knowing where to go with this movie as it's leading you? <laughs> it's challenging. Yeah. I, I will say that it is. Um, I, I think I had a, weirdly enough, a pretty easy time. Oh, of course getting you did. A grasp. No, but I, I had a pretty easy time getting a grasp on like the, the chronological plot and like what was happening. I had a harder time up until the very end getting a grasp on what I think this film is like doing thematically. Like there, there are a lot of like points that I, I felt were pretty obvious about addiction, about filmmaking, about kind of mm-hmm. the need to throw yourself into some sort of artistic uh, pursuit or creation um, and how that can be fulfilling in a lot of ways, but, but can also be kind of like an endless hole uh, in other ways. Um, I think that this is like, weirdly enough, a film that is like, I, I like the experience of watching this film for the most part, but I think that this film was kind of made by the ending in a very weird way. Um, hmm. It is like a, a really neat bow that kind of ties everything that, that came before I feel. Um, and I feel like without that ending, I would have felt, completely completely lost it, about how is to it too, break down yeah this film. is it too early for anybody to like dive into that a little more do we want to poke at earlier parts of the movie before talking about that or is it that essential to your read to talk about the ending um i don't know i don't i don't even think it's necessarily like a big spoiler thing like it, from a plot perspective there's not that much that actually happens right. right so i don't know i would just talk about kind of the film as a, a whole um but i mean sure. i think that the structure is interesting to talk about right because like you sort of alluded to jason the plot that ends up being where the the um, movie concludes kind of emerges in like the final act of the movie um it's sort of like built out of pedro's continuing obsession and i think the ideas were supposed to interpret the um the red boxes as sort of like the logical conclusion or final manifestation of his obsession but Hmm. it does feel to me at least it felt like a significant departure from what the rest of the movie was about um it sort of felt felt to me like he was on one path and attempting to accomplish one thing with cinema and then he discovered this other rapturous quality and started pursuing that instead almost um maybe that was because like for me um 
and this tends to happen to me whenever I watch movies like this, I got really interested in trying to unpack Pedro's sort of specific artistic ideology or like what he's trying to accomplish with cinema. Um, so like the voiceover actually really worked for me, even though I think it sort of doubles back on itself a few too many times. I think that this movie has some like pacing and structural issues, though I think that might be sort of part of the fun of it. Um, but so I was, I was really interested in following that thread um, and then I was a little bit surprised by the ending, but I still agree with Aaron, right? Like, I think by the end of this movie, particularly the final scene is really powerful in sort of bringing together a bunch of different themes that are all sort of like interwoven through this movie together. And there is like a lot going on in this movie, right? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a pretty yeah. dense piece of media, I think. Um, yeah. And maybe deceptively so, right? For how stream of consciousness it can be at some points. Yeah. T- tying into your to your point about the the structure of it, I mean it's it's a little easier for me because I, I was not watching this in the theater. Unfortunately, I think this would be a I think this would be a kick ass film to see it in is, the theater. Yeah. To be quite honest, um, uh, once again, um, oh. rat. My yes, my Chicago residency has ruined me again. Um, no, but it you know watching this online uh, as you do. Uh, when you're not in a theater, um, very easy to see how far through the film you are at any given point. And I think you don't see like mm. the red frame in, in, for the first time until like probably more than two thirds of the way through this film. Yeah. Like it's like the last. They're like there are like, like a couple of shots where you see him like stuck up against the window, but you're not getting like oh this is a plot element that the frames yes. are turning I mean, red. It's until, like fully a like, TV show type pacing, right? Where it's like we had never yeah. like talked about or heard about the red frames until that third act monologue where like Pedro goes on that journey where he seems to be sort of adapting to life um, as a normal adult. He's like going to gay clubs and he's like hanging out with people. And then he has this relapse and the relapse is when it happens. And maybe that's important, but you're, you're totally right, Aaron. It's like literally there, there was like half an hour left to this movie when that part of the um, plot emerged. Yeah, I do wonder if there's a if there's a criticism of the film that I've had that I would have. I think that it's maybe and and, and this is kind of I think part of the deal that you make when you tell a film in the story that is a lot of narration, somebody kind of combing through some sort of document uh that's kind of detailing, you know, past events. I think that it it maybe it it maybe is a bit much in that manner. I don't know if I'm kind of alone in that, but I do think that the 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 plot device of of Pedro's kind of tape, you know, leading Jose uh, through this kind of story is it's like it's interesting and I yeah. think it works, but it it I think there it, are maybe some like trade offs you make there. I don't know. For for me, I don't know how the group feels about that, but for me, it's it's it worked thematically and for the story. <laughs> Hello, Kelly's dog. Uh, I it works thematically and for the story because he like they they kind of they kind of had this distance from each other like they don't really know each other i'm they they fucked each other right on their first or second visit because there's that there's that scene where they put the betty boop okay um, yeah uh, doll okay let's let's just a quick diversion they put the betty boop doll in front of anna and she's transfixed and time passes there's a time lapse uh day turns to night turns to day and uh when we get another shot of pedro and jose they're in bed somewhat disrobed and jose or pedro gets out of bed and he's buck-ass naked he's just hanging dong they had to have fucked each other right yeah in that scene well, I mean, alone 
one, yes. And two, it doesn't okay. like it doesn't matter, right? Like whether or not they no. were fucking they are soulmates, like a hundred percent. This is a romance that's what I mean. story. That's um, what I mean, is like it it adds to that um dissonance. Like they there's this they've only met each other a couple of times. They have like a passing friendship aside from this, like materially on the screen, aside from this one instance of of probably having sex with one another. They have like this passing acquaintanceship and connection over film that they, ha- I think, I think that distance that is necessitated by like, Oh, I'm already dead. Listen to this tape is really nicely. Like yeah. there's nice friction there between like the closeness that they've got in the text of the movie uh, and the like sort of weird, uh, you know, distance that they must have for the plot to go forward. Cause like if he's calling him and telling him these things are happening, well then maybe Jose goes over there and tries to figure out what's going on. But if we're, if it's like, you know, already gone and already, you know, foregone conclusion, then we can have that like sort of necessary distance to build tension in their relationship. So that from that perspective, it worked for me. Quick side note, the voiceover was the worst thing about this movie to me. It was so fucking difficult to follow so much of the story because it was all in, in flashback voiceover. But, I, th- I think it's one thing that works probably better if you're if you speak Spanish, which I do not speak Spanish. But the the specifically when it starts to kind of mingle with kind of the you know the present day dialogue uh, between Jose and uh, and Anna, I, that's like really excellent. And it's like mm-hmm. there's something a little brutal about reading like subtitles like up and down and like having to do that kind of a maneuver when it's like very clearly it is supposed to be kind of the clash of this this kind of this narration and and these characters talking about it um but it like it's more of a thing that's like bummer i don't speak spanish but i, I appreciate what this is doing uh, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, yeah i'm really glad you brought up the distance between these two guys and i'm sorry if i'm talking too much but that really was like one thing i really wanted to dive into is that i was sort of transfixed by pedro himself right and trying to understand this person i kind of interpreted this my first watch through as, as like a heart of darkness narrative right where like pedro is colonel kurtz and um like we're following the progression and sort of descent into madness as this, Hmm. this outsider um, Jose sort of like becomes more interested in his like artistic vision. Um, But two, two writers that I wanted to mention um, one of them is trial trial of his own Finn Odom. They wrote a, um, a good uh, review retrospective on Perisphere that you can go read right now. Um, And in that they talk about how, they were really interested in people paying more attention to the fact that there is a queer love story at the heart of this movie. Um, and another one of try loves former guests, I promise I'm not just doing self promotional, but stuff, but, um, <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. Uh, Natalie from our third man episode, um, wrote a really, really great review of this movie on letterbox that you can go check out. And, um, just like the, the ending of it really got to me, um, where she says, um, the final sequence of the film feels especially loaded and unnerving for this reason. A last piece of an ex-lover's likeness beckoning you to join them in the beyond, giving into that urge when it provides your only respite among a world that cannot accommodate you otherwise. And I thought that that was like a really brilliant summation of what's yeah. happening here. And it sort of speaks to the the undercurrent that is driving these two men's relationship with one another, which is not just a soulmate situation where they love each other. These are also two men who find it increasingly difficult to cope with reality as it is, right? Hmm. And I think that's where yeah. a lot of the drug metaphor comes from, right? Like Pedro is is trying to literally escape from time itself. He's trying to stop time. Um, or yeah, 
Pedro, um, Jose no longer finds any satisfaction in anything except for drug use, right? Like he he doesn't like the films he makes. He doesn't like his girlfriend anymore. He can only he sort like of, Bambi. Yeah, he can only tolerate his girlfriend when they're on drugs together, which like is a really sad and like poignant and and true feeling thing about addicts. Um, and both of these guys, they like seek this escape, this this rapture, right? And it provides this this moment that they're trying to elongate throughout this movie and that's the sort of like soulmate connection between them and i really love the fact that that's predicated on both drug use and queerness right because both of those produce this sort of like alienation from the world that would make something like this so much more compelling than it might be otherwise and that's what i like about that's what works about this movie so well for me is that i find pedro to be a very sympathetic character Right. And Hmm. even um, Jose to a lesser extent. Um, And that makes it so much better than the sort of like didactic read you could have of this movie. Right. Where like I think that there's a there's a reading of this movie that exists that says like the the more you try to escape from reality, the more you sacrifice who you are. Right. And eventually it's that's how a lot of people were reading that on letter. So many people were reading this as like a a movie about like the dangers of the dangers of filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not not that, but that's that's a very trite in my mind and sort of like base level reading of something that is that is much more interested in like actually finding the humanity and the sadness uh Mm -hmm. inherent in these people and in like drug addiction and in queerness especially in a world that hates queer people and all of that and so i i really appreciated those elements of this movie I think uh, Eusebio Poncela, uh as Jose is just the right choice to bring some of these themes out. Um, you know, he I've seen him in several roles and he's basically always bringing this very like very elegant and very queer kind of vibe to things. Like I was mentioning after the movie, there's this great movie called Cannibal Man. Uh, it's kind of a, a wacky title, but it's, it's a little less wacky than it probably sounds. And, you know, it's a story about this uh, taxi driver who's, you know, kind of accidentally killed somebody, but then he keeps like killing people to keep his own secret. <laughs> and then kind of out of nowhere, Eusebio Poncela is this wealthy neighbor who's been, you know, like, spying on him. It's this very like voyeuristic angle. And all of a sudden they're just kind of like hanging out these very like kind of sexy situations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not totally sure like even how that like uh, ties into the rest of the movie, but all of a sudden he's just hanging out in his bathrobe and they're like going swimming together. It's like He's, <laughs> he's strangely seductive. And like at the same time, I did not assume that he had good intentions throughout Arabato. Like when you started describing yeah. Candleman and I was like, oh, so Eusebio Pancella is a guy who kills somebody by accident and then ends up and it's like, no, he's actually playing the horny guy across the street. He's not actually like the murderer himself. <laughs> But he, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he just has that air about him. He's uh, air about him. Air about him. Air about him. Air about him. Cody, I was curious, any of this work for you about like the sort of distance they built or, I mean, any of the stuff that we've been saying, has it, has it rung any bells oh, yeah. for you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, definitely, um, you know, t- uh, piggybacking on Harry's self-promotion of the pod, definitely read those pieces by um, our lovely guests. I have not read them and I have not, um, I intentionally kind of did not like dig too much further into this movie. I definitely did not see what the letterbox bros had to say <laughs> about this movie. Cause I was not interested. It, you don't want um, to marry yourself in that just yet, huh? No, that's Including a wormhole me. I don't want to go down. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very, and like uh, for reasons that I'll maybe try to like poke at, like I was very interested to hear 
sort of what we all like got upon because this struck me as um you know a movie that you know it, there are a lot of different flavors of readings that seem like you could pull from this that all sort of get back at like the same kind of idea or the same kind of game that this movie is is trying to play and um, I think they're definitely like Aaron was talking about trade-offs. Like I, maybe the trade-offs are, are different for everybody, which is also something that I'm thinking about now that I'm hearing, like I'm with Jason and that I really did not like dig the narration. Um, I like the, like the idea of it on paper and like where it kind of, it, it acting as a through line for like everything we see, I think is really cool. Maybe the execution just didn't vibe with me. Mm. Maybe I should, um, bone up on my, on my Spanish again. These are discussions for, for later, see. but, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh see Clara Clara to see. Um yeah, I uh I don't know. I w- one thing having a few days to sort of sit with this and like absorb things. I like that there are so many things swimming around and like the different flavors of readings like one person may choose to really latch on to like the the nostalgia component um the way that or the way that um drug use sort of parallels are our fascination and the ways in which we are manipulated by both like looking at screens and uh, what's being projected on screens rather, and looking at lenses of things that are like capturing us from the other side. Um, There again, like so many different, like different, like micro variations of, uh, again, I I keep referring to it in my head as like a game, but it does feel like I I get trying to like determine as we're watching, you know, try to, to, solve the movie you know is this movie about jose is it about pedro are mm-hmm. they like two players in this sort of bigger quote-unquote game being played i think by the end talking about you know this bow being tied at the end you know even though it didn't necessarily solve the movie for me it did help i think like um group uh, uh you know all of these things together and say like you are like this is what you are perceiving as the game is the correct game yeah. and like yes these are indeed the players that you thought they were the whole time um, but this is not like the end of of that conversation. This this thing that you saw play out is a case study of something that is like potentially very real and also like probably an inevitability, right? Like the the um, things like you know, like addiction, like focusing on that or like tapping into nostalgia allows for you to feel sort of like your highest highs and like perhaps your lowest lows. Ooh. And the way that like cinema ties into that is. I don't know. It's uh, a, a a good stew. Um, I know TikTok is good soup, but I, this feels more like a stew. <laughs> to me. I'm really glad you brought up the nostalgia stuff because, um, like, that is that is yet another sort of recurring motif that ties into the the larger sort of like recombination of all of these different things, right? Like, I think that cinema and drug use and queerness and nostalgia all sort of come together in that stew, <laughs> like you said, uh, Cody. Kelly, you told me a little bit that the that the director before, um, like, making this movie or while making this movie, he was really inspired by Peter Pan, right? And he even wanted to have more Peter Pan elements. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, um, I watched this, you know, about an hour long documentary about Ivan Zuleta called Ivan Z. Um, and uh, that's one thing that he talked a lot about is um, he, you know, like in the scenes where they're driving around and, you know, see like the marquee for Bambi and stuff. He was thinking like, well, I would like to reference Peter Pan more. He wanted to find like a, a comic or a book 
Peter Pan, he ended up going kind of a different direction, but he, you know, very directly referred to Pedro's character as a Peter Pan um, mm. and sees himself as one. He, you know, he said, uh, who wants to grow up? Not me. Um, and I was definitely seeing this time um, Pedro's being more of his stand-in character. Um, uh, Ivan Zleta uh, described himself as a film freak who said that he's uh, at his best when watching movies, like relatable. Um <laughs> And so, you know, he only made two features, although he made a lot of short films, like often using like Super 8, um, another connection with uh, uh, Pedro. Um, so when he, this was his second and last feature, when he started making this movie, he'd been using heroin. He was uh, getting addicted to heroin at this point. Um, he was already kind of exhausted, a little bit inexperienced. He said the first day of shooting, he dropped the camera <laughs> and horrified <laughs> the crew and said that he had to basically stop them from quitting. Um, they filmed the uh, the scenes uh, where uh, Jose and his girlfriends are driving and he was like, didn't know how to film them. He was like laying down in the car. It was very challenging for him. Um, and this experience just took it out of him. Um, he was, you know, just burned out by the end. You know, he said he felt he put everything that he had into this movie and he just didn't have anything left. Um, so I, I'm like, just kind of seeing a lot of parallels with some of the themes uh, and some of yeah. Pedro's experiences with his real life. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what works so well for me about Pedro, right? Is like, there is such a deep and like resonant sadness at the heart of that character. Um, and I think the nostalgia speaks to that really well. We're like, we, we hear that he doesn't show anybody his films and he films just around his house and nobody knows really what he's doing with them. And then he watches them himself alone in his room and they drive him to like, a conniption basically like right? religious like he has pleasure a, yeah. yeah like a fervor yeah. and um it turns out that what he's doing is he's taking time-lapse photography of essentially his own his own house right and he says at one point i've been taking these images for a hundred years and the way that he tries to induct jose into sort of his understanding is by showing jose um his favorite childhood trading cards and saying like, couldn't you just look at this forever? And that's sort of like, that is what Pedro's attempting to do, right? He's trying to live entirely in a moment captured where he can feel that sort of simple joy and tenderness and uncomplication that comes with being a child. Right. And like, his whole life and, and his cinema is about trying to recreate that moment as, as well as he can and for as long as he can. And he uses drugs as sort of a gateway to get there. Um, I, it's really, really interesting, the, the drug use in this movie, especially knowing that um, Zaluda was, was so on heroin uh, at the time. But that, that's something else that we should discuss. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to mention, kind of in relation to that, um, the concept of Stendhal syndrome, which is a, a phenomenon where, you know, people upon viewing beautiful, great works of art uh, are moved to be ill, like, you know, have hallucinations, you know, fainting, raptures, heart, palpita heart palpitations. So it was like, okay, uh, you know, how does that, you know, combined with these, you know, looking at his, his, you know, childhood things that are so great to him, um, you know, becoming fascinated with them, um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, viewing his own works, uh, and, you know, being moved to, you know, scream and cry and sob over them. Yeah, uh, imagine building on such a, like, 
pure naive love of, a, of, of an art of cinema and then adding heroin to that mix of like, oh, this isn't going to stabilize that at all. Right. It's not going for the characters or for the director, you know? Yeah, it's interesting, too, that, like, Pedro doesn't even want to take heroin, right? Like, he doesn't – he limits himself pretty, like, in a pretty disciplined manner, at least at first. He says he doesn't like to take it because it makes him older, and that's something he's trying to avoid. But it, it like, becomes Pan, this yeah. this sort of, like, catalyst that he requires to get where he's going, right? Which mm. is that, that rapturous feeling that sort of, like, eventually, again, it the way that it makes sense for me, this, this ending, is that he thinks that the red squares, which he says are, like, the camera that he films himself sleeping um, using, cannot capture those moments, and that's why the um, frame is red. And he thinks that mm. Because, like, whenever he wakes up from such a, like, a nap or whatever, um, he feels so good and he feels rapturous. And he thinks that that's happening to him in that moment. And if he can capture that moment, he will have succeeded, right? And so it, it's sort of like when you when you really, like, consider what Pedro was attempting to do, the, the red squares at the end sort of start to make sense to me. But there definitely is, like, a, a tough sort of um, – there's a lot to follow uh, in – especially in the voiceover yeah i think heroin just has so much to do with this film yeah yeah i the i didn't know about the peter pan thing and i think that's kind of making a lot of this click i think that there's uh for me kind of takes on peter pan not just peter pan itself but things that you know works that kind of use the themes of peter pan and i think one of the reasons that peter pan um is still so like important i think thematically is that you know the the idea of this kind of like regression back into childhood in the face of a world that that is is often so harsh and like brutal right and like the the need um not like the desire but like the the need uh to to kind of go in that direction in order to kind of deal with what you you have to deal with right i think it, the way that, that ties into the drugs that the characters take um is like so fascinating. And there's like a very weird thing happening with the tone in this. Cause I think that the plot of this kind of on its face is, um, and this is a, a horror film, I guess, but it is not a horrific film in that manner. It is not, mm. not really a scary film, but it is also not a film in which the end, you know, the, the, these two people being kind of taken by this, I guess, possession of this film and whatnot. It, it is, it is not horrifying. It is, um, the word that comes to mind is triumphant, but it's not triumphant. It is, it is um, necessary. I mm. think it is something that is is completely necessary based on who these characters are uh, and you where know, the they trauma are. That they've experienced. Yeah, the where they are they in their life, in. The, the world that they live in, um, the things that they go to, the kind of the chemical dependencies they have, this kind of yearning for each other that is kind of. Um, maybe you can kind of argue about how much it, it, the, the the plot of the film taken kind of at face value uh, uh, has to do with that. But like certainly the, the, what is shown in the film, it, it is kind of um, that yearning is kind of left at yearning simply from what's portrayed through the film. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think the idea of that kind of that very sad, but still somewhat yes. hopeful acceptance of this escape is like, that is like the thing that I think is really beautiful about yes. the ending of this. And it's, so so weird for a horror film. Right? Yeah, it's like I don't even want to categorize it as horror. It's I don't I mean, know. It's it's something. It's yeah, Harry. No, yeah, yeah no. I think that you're getting at like exactly where I wanted to go with this, which is that like I think that the the way that it's 
that that realization or that necessity is so honest to me. Uh, this movie, like, it feels so deeply honest and and so sad in its honesty, and especially when you consider like post Franco Spain, where it's like these are men who have found themselves at terminal odds with reality as it is right it's like they cannot be who they want to be and exist because the world is that against them right so they've been they've been seeking ways out or seeking ways to make it work for themselves and they just can't they can't get there and especially when you consider like the autobiography biographical elements of this it's like so what do you do right like what do you do when when the world is intolerable it's like this becomes sort of like this I hesitate to call it a defense of drug use because like it it is very clear about the consequences of drug use right but it is it is sort of like sympathizing in in a way that I think more deeply than most drug narratives actually ever can because it is saying like it like faced with this existence in a world that hates you forever and this world where you will never get what you want and you will be forced to sort of always just remember the rapture and your ability to sort of exist as the person you want to be in the circumstances in which you want to exist um damn the consequences it's like you can see right it's like he's saying like this is why i'm choosing what i want right and there's a sense that like pedro at the end of this movie the reason it feels triumphant is because arguably he got what he wanted right like when he's when he's on the screen when he's beckoning for jose to come join him it's like that was what he was attempting to accomplish for this entire film and so like maybe he's dead maybe he's sort of transcended and is now like where he wants to be. Right. And I think that that ambiguity is important to the sort of like dual horror of acknowledging the world as terrible as it is for people like this and acknowledging that like, there is a reason why they act the way they do. And so it, it becomes like a really deeply empathetic movie in a way that I really appreciate. I have kind of mixed feelings about what the ending means for Jose. I think it's totally right that Pedro got exactly what he wanted and it is probably a very triumphant moment for him. And the thing, so, you know, Jose's going into it and you can tell that there is this attraction and repulsion and there's an anticipation, but a fear, you know, he's sweating. Um, and the thing that kind of makes it a little more ambiguous um, for his ending is you know, and, you know, once again, the setting of, you know, post-Franco, you know, Spain forming this new identity, but, you know, still very used to kind of a militaristic police force and, um, you know, oppression and persecution of unconventional artists is this firing squad imagery of him, you know, tearing his white blindfold, putting it on, mm -hmm. he's sweating, and then the, the sound, um, and then, you know, him jerking like he's been shot, uh, and I'm like, what does this mean for Jose? <laughs> it's very dark to me. Yeah, well, and like, especially because he is just sort of this like disillusioned but commercially successful um, filmmaker who's who's like kind of almost passing. Like, I don't want to lean too hard on like literal queer metaphors, but like he can exist in the world in a way that uh, Pedro never could, and sort of like is there is a reading of this in which it's very heart of darkness where he's like seduced by, by Pedro's sort of um, way of seeing the world and ends up being quote unquote corrupted by it. And we like, we take this guy who sort of like was maybe going to break either way. Right. He was like, he was sort of like a proto Pedro and through Pedro's guidance, he becomes um, another person who's going to 
escape into cinema the way that that Pedro was attempting to. Um, one thing I think is really interesting um, is that I really love that this movie it doesn't it doesn't sympathize to the point where it doesn't demonstrate the consequences of these people's behavior. Um, I think that like particularly women in this movie are really victimized. Um, not in, not in a way that is like. I mean, maybe it's problematic. I'm not the person to speak to that, but I think it's really important, right? Like, I think it's really important, for instance, that um, Pedro's cousin, um, Marta, dies. Like, she's absorbed into the camera as well, and it's like, she didn't have anything to do with this. She was basically an innocent bystander. Um, Likewise, right, like, Jose's descent is not only a problem for him. He like very much makes it a problem for Anna, his his girlfriend, his his like maybe partner. They have like a very tumultuous relationship. He gets her into drugs in a way that really hardcore parallels what Pedro does to him. And so I what I really like about that is like the reason why this this movie doesn't become sort of like didactic on either end is because of its willingness to show the ugliness, right? Like I think that like it it makes those characters really important because it demonstrates that like it's it's maybe even in an autobiographical sense, like an admission that like, yeah, I know that like, it's not just me, like my, my needs and my personality make me a, a problem for the people who love me too. <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's something that's really tough to admit, but really um, like cool. I think something that's really important about this movie. At the women, you know, it's not great outcomes for them at some point, but they are, the catalyst for bringing a lot of this together, which is interesting. Yeah. I think Anna is like a, I think a pretty well-written character, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, she's not actually given that much to do, which is, I guess one issue, but I do think that what we're given is, is interesting. And it is, I think sympathetic toward her to a certain extent. Well, yeah. Um, Marta. Yeah. She's just, She's go. She the camera's just like enough of you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I really like, I don't know what to say. A whole that, lot. But- Yes, she's 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 um Shelley Duvall very strong like she, yes yeah yes, dude. <laughs> absolutely same vibes uh the the scene where where she's talking uh uh to um to Pedro in is like she is like such a weird I don't know how to explain it but such a weird like very fascinated interested like vibe as she's talking to him that is like. So good. I don't know what it is, but I think it's probably because we're spending the time with with Pedro, well, just kind of like yeah. wasting away and eating mm-hmm. croissants I mean, and I mean, stuff. She's, like, she's and, kind of his first cult member, right? Like she's a, she's yes. obsessed with Pedro. Later on, it says that they're fucking. Basically, I we don't know if we can take that necessarily at face value because Pedro says a lot of shit that maybe is not true. Yeah, uh, but maybe it is. And like her introduction. Uh, as um, Jose's girlfriend is that she's like she's like really really excited to explain who Pedro is to Jose. She's like, oh yeah, his cinema is like hallucinoma, which like I don't know how they did that localization wise, but that that is such a good line. Like, goddamn, <laughs> um, and like she she just cannot wait and like is so fascinated by him in this sort of like almost objectifying way, right? But it does show the sort of effect that Pedro is about to have on everyone totally um i I guess one small piece i have to offer about uh the marta discussion um all capital letters um (laughs) is like you know we talk about this being or we have talked about this being uh part of the horror genre and i think like any place you look um like this film would be described in that way at least you know like some horror leanings and like while a lot of that isn't 
super uh, obvious. I mean, obviously, the, you know, this film operates um, in, it, in its own ways. Um, but one thing that I sort of tried to rationalize to myself is uh, in Marta's final scene, it is sort of the movie's own, like, communicating a sort of inner logic about, like, claiming a victim. Like, the sort of, you know, in, like, slasher films, like the... Yeah. You know, the teens who are a little too like, you know, they drink or they, you know, they, they have sex. And so like they're targeted just by nature of, you know, uh, again, horror movie logic of just like, you know, Marta, maybe like not or Marta or anybody just like uh, communicating a certain like um, uh, just like knowing when to look away from the screen, basically. Um, that was uh, like, it's very weak and like, pro- like I can feel myself tearing a muscle as I stretch to like, not necessarily argue for it. Like it could just be, you know, like a, a whatever. I mean, at the very least it offers um, uh, more evidence of like what, uh, what the device is capable of doing, which is obviously very, you know, very useful um, in, a, in a grander sense. But I don't know, that was just something I was thinking about. I don't, I mean, listeners of previous episodes know that I don't love getting hung up on like genre stuff. Um, but I don't know. I'll, I'll drop that out there. If it does something great, if not, you know, whatever, justice I'll, for you, maybe. I'll, I'll take that and run with it. We'll, we'll, let's, let's dive into genre, sir. Uh, I think that, okay. the, that despite my earlier comments, which I will still stand by, of course, but despite... I mean, look, th- this film is is a horror film, but it is a, a horror film that is, I think, tonally it does not feel like a horror film. But I think this does fit totally. very interestingly in to like a certain genre of horror um, having to do with um, like the, 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 the very like immediate comparison point is something like House of Leaves. Uh, uh, and I think also weirdly uh, a movie that I, oh god what is the horror film sci fi the, the space the spaceship sunshine the, the, the tape event horizon oh, no no it, yes oh, event horizon, horizon. Yeah. There, <laughs> right. there is, there is a I oh, mean it's like such a episode. dumb comparison to make but there's like a very weird um, there's like a, a weird comparison you could make about uh, you know films and books and like things that attempt to capture some sort of a a like uh you know documents that attempt to um you know capture the truth of something as it is Hmm. uh kind of being home to this kind of demonic force uh that that actually kind of does the opposite right this this attempt to document the world actually reveals something past the world uh, that is like some sort of like deeper truth um and it like it's not tonally a horror movie in a lot of ways, but like it does fit in, I think alongside a lot of works like that. Um, I I think you're getting at like something like proto found footage horror where it's like, yeah, we're going a little little bit further than just, Oh, look creepy. Like uh, low res grainy texture, like sinister. That's that's a great, that is a, the the lineage of this to like found footage. I think that's like a great, I'm I'm sure I can't take, credit for that take but like yeah it like the way that you're describing it that whole like what can we reveal about the world through like uh sort of like spaced and delayed like interpretations of it and like documentarian readings of it that's that sounds yeah. like like smarter than most found footage horror f- films uh, uh really like use the genre for but in the best cases that's the power of that genre right or yeah it it is 
Sorry, no, Gary, go ahead. I, I've been... And just on top of that, right? Like, I think that the the House of Leaves comparison is really apt too, right? Because um, I think that like a big part of what this movie's doing, particularly in the sort of like extended, um, almost sort of like languid second act, is it's trying to sort of formally recreate the experience of what these people are feeling, right? Like much much the same way that like found footage does in just a literal sense in that you're supposed to be seeing the way that characters are seeing, yeah. but also sort of like the, the time lapses and the jumping around and the long scenes that, um, that don't follow a, a particularly linear time progression, right? Like you we're supposed to, this sounds a little bit cliched, right? But like, it's supposed to kind of feel like you're on drugs watching this movie a little bit. Like it's yeah. supposed to be recreating that experience. And, I, I really like that, um, Aaron, as a point too, right? Because like that fits so well into the sort of empathy where it's like we are sort of to an extent not not meant to be seduced by Pedro in the same way, but I did come out of this sympathetic, right? I was like, I guess like yeah. if I felt the way Pedro did and that felt me made me feel the way that that did, I understand why he wanted to be this way and why he was willing to accept mm-hmm. all of the consequences that befell him, right? And like there is something that is genuinely sort of horror producing in a formal sense about that right like i love horror movies that that get me to accept a premise that is very spooky right and i think that this one does it this one's like yeah i guess under the right circumstances i would take a bunch of heroin uh that makes sense (laughs) oh harry no (laughs) i the the yeah the i think the the interesting kind of um uh, thematic point that i think i find uh uh in like you know i i think that it's it's you know, Pe- Pedro views this kind of time-lapse photography as a way to uh, capture moments in time. Um, but, you know, if you think about a time-lapse photography and just normal film, um, it's kind of a question of scale. Right? It's the, I mean, yeah, the, it's the, the same thing, right? Yes, it's, it is essentially the same thing. And I think what the, the film is, is, is saying is that, like, th- there is a whole world that exists between those frames that is not captured by those mm-hmm. frames, right? right. There, is a, there is a feeling, there is an emotion, there is a, uh, you know, it, it is a, a constant, like, Sisyphean um, attempt to, to capture life uh, with, with something that can only capture moments in time. And you're seeing kind of these being strung together, but... There are these. There's the really important stuff that lives in between those frames, and that's represented uh, and by the Pedro red square. Like chasing that, yeah, by yes, the end, yes, and that is the thing that cannot be captured right. by some sort of. It's so good, man. Like the the physical yeah. like mechanics of it, like the fact that they use time lapse photography, the clicking, just to make it like really apparent that like you're thinking about what a movie really is or what a film really is throughout this film, which is like it's a series of still images that are like ran one after the other to create the illusion of movement. Right. And like, it really does a great job of like making you bringing you into that. Like this is tying into before we, uh, before we started recording, I read the uh, review. I forget who wrote it, but on rogerebert.com for this movie's re-release in 2021, uh, a lot of that review like focuses way too much on plot and way too much on like what happened and sort of the intangibility of it all to be interesting. But there's, I mean, again, I'm not going to, they're writing for Roger, Roger Ebert.com yeah. and I'm making a podcast that has 133 followers on Twitter. So <laughs> cast no stones, but, uh, this one, there's one part of a paragraph that really stuck with me because I think it like gets more specifically at the heart and maybe something I haven't heard too much in critical praise of, of Arabato is that quote unquote, uh, film stock is alive in Arabato as a ghost that feeds from the energy of those who need it to understand themselves through the moments made eternal. And I think that like, 
I wanted to get that out while while Aaron was talking because like that sounded exactly like what you were trying to say is like the f- medium the format here is very essential to sort of what we're saying about these characters I think personally my read of this movie is when uh is, is that there's like a, a purity to what um to what Pedro you know gets out of film to his raptures and what and Jose is like invited to that but maybe not entirely able to consummate it not really like maybe forcing it a bit maybe it doesn't happen naturally for him and maybe that's where we get to the ending of him you know being sort of like in in a way nobody else has been violently murdered by this phenomenon he's actually <laughs> like potentially shot to death right we see from his shoulders up and we hear gunshots oh there's, shot oh hey. there's, there's there's a lot oh. that, and this is i'm glad cody brought it up because there are so many flavors you can read this movie from i hadn't really thought about but I'm like putting this together on the fly and I, I just read my letterbox review later. It's probably going to be more cohesive than this, but it's, it's coming together. Oh, the pieces are coming together. Everybody. Well, and like, I, I have so a read. Do you, do you think that then like what Pedro is, is attempting to do? And this is sort of my reading of it, right? Is that the stillness was kind of um, the point, right? Where like the, the individual images they when something is still when something is momentary like rapture for instance is a moment right and that's not how time feels to pedro right like pedro right. is obsessed with stopping time because because like living in moments he can be pure in a way that time isn't right like you are constantly well, yeah. losing things you're aging out of things like the the space between the frames is death basically right because it's the the inexorable march of time that he, if i if, yeah please if i can literally the space between and he talks about when he gets um the timer i forget exactly what that device is called but it allows it to shoot on which lower we should talk frame. about right because at, 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 at 60 frames per second for the end when he gets that from jose he gets this thing that he ends up like pointing right. at himself while he's asleep um he says I was not able to rely on my heartbeat for taking photos anymore. So when he was filming before, when he's like prancing around his yard and shit, he's just clicking in beat with his heart. And that's like, did Hideo Kojima write this fucking character? Because that is like very, that's like anime shit yeah. is that he's taking films from his own biology. He's making movies and like the space between is not life. It is the absence of life. The absence, the presence of a frame is like the presence of a moment of life. Right. And, and like I'm having a little bit of a moment, his, his heartbeat becomes irregular, right? Like because he's aging and because things are happening to his body, right? Like, and he even hates drug use, right? And he doesn't hate drug use because of the drugs. He hates it because he hates that he has to do something to his physical form Mm. that can get him to the place where he wants to be. Right. He wants to just be like, it, it is very anime in the sense that like he wants to be like pure energy, right? Like he wants to be like a platonic concept, but he's just a body. Um, and that keeps getting in the way. I did want to bring up real quick. Um, sorry, I'm talking so much, but, um, Jose gives Pedro the means to do this. Like that, that is a really important part of this movie, right? Is that after their first meeting, uh, Jose sends Pedro the time-lapse photography that he requires in order to get there. And so like, in, in addition to everything else this movie is doing, it is also like the story of the, like, tragic and romantic ways in which these two men enable one another right in mm-hmm. which they can neither of them can get where they need to go by the end there's even sort of like a, a power dynamic here right where like jose is an established filmmaker like he he understands how film works in a way pedro doesn't and pedro has the vision and the sort of like uh ambition that jose was lacking and so they find what's missing in each other 
and it does what it does to both of them right and it's it's sort of like it's it's really romantic and it's really tragic um but i i think that like the the movie does a really great job better and better as i'm talking about it right of of getting you there of like helping you understand these two men's relationships to one another I know I just said I was having a moment. I'm going to need some more time to absorb all of what we've just pulled out of a hat. Uh, do we have any thoughts, any final things that we should scrape the bottom of the barrel on before moving to the final segment of our show? Yeah. Hey, real real quick. I know this film, we, we've talked about how it's uh, sympathetic to the, you know, the feelings um, that, that both Jose and Pedro have. But uh, I, I actually, after seeing Pedro with that little like sticky putty shit, I, I, I don't, I can't. That is the nastiest <laughs> ass. It's gross early on oh, in the film, so but there's sweet. a scene where he's lying. No, oh, fuck Jose, off. There's a scene Jose where he's lying in bed. Some. It's so nice. And it's just like, it's it's like, a, I can't remember what it is, but there's like there's a parody film from like uh, years and years ago where uh, the big it. like romantic uh, uh, expression that the main character does uh, for the woman, they're like taking a taxi somewhere and he like gives her his gum from his mouth. And that's what it reminds me of for some reason. The scene where Pedro is sitting in bed and it's just like caked to his pillow and he's just like, it's so nasty. I cannot stand it. Did you you notice that when Jose is being raptured, Jose is holding it and it's oozing out of his hands? It's, it's, I think it's a pretty sexual thing. Pedro gives him that my man. Oh yeah. I do not need my comments as any sort of commentary on homosexual love, but just the, just (laughs) as text, the silly putty ass fucking thing he carries around. He's not about another man's fluids. Here's, here's yeah, the thing. Upset I, about that. Is it a fluid or is it a solid? That's the, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, a guest has brought up canceling you, Aaron. So I think that's like that's more Ooh. than a joke at this point. Um, no, my like I'm I'm on Aaron's side as far as like any time that that t- so- stuff touches a porous surface, I I die inside because I had a lot of silly putty as a kid, and whenever it got on a pillowcase, on a blanket, on a sweater, that thing's done. Throw it fuck yeah. away. It's going. It's I- going home. The the other thing about Pedro that's very funny is that I, I know he is obviously very depressed through like most of this film, but he does live in what is essentially like a Twitter meme about how men live. It's like, so good, no dude. bed frame, I, no headboard, shit all over the place. His his cousin comes and cleans up for that him. Was literally, that course. was my last I mean, thought. Right? Come is on. that like it, to the point where like I I definitely read that as like autobiographical satire. Right? Like the, yeah, the director yeah. is straight up or, making fun of himself. Like maybe not satire, but more like criticism yeah i yeah. feel i don't it, yeah he's, yes. he's like taking this out of himself right because like it it yeah. it ramps up in the way that the rest of the movie climaxes where like by the third act he's like saying these things about how like i'm reaching this place that nobody's ever reached before right like I, the, the red frames are going to take me somewhere that no one's ever gone before and i'm going to be complete and then like he's like wearing a bathrobe and like uh, underwear and nothing else, and just like never changing clothes, creeping around, and, like, wearing a cut off Mickey yeah. Mouse shirt. You can you smell know? him <laughs> through the screen, where it's like, oh man, like and he's uh, wearing those sunglasses in and out of doors. Yeah, it rocks. It's really, really funny that that part of this movie. Yeah, I like his uh, look uh, near the end when they're uh, picking up the hustler, though. It's a, it's a yeah, hot he look. cleans up well. Like he, that's the thing. It's like 
dude, I, you know, make your bed, well, that's uh, the tr- take a shower. Like, you, you're not a bad looking dude. There's something very, like, Hamlet about that, right? Like, even that, that part where it's like when he, when he, like, decides he's going to be a person near the end of this movie and, like, starts going to, like, gay clubs and hanging out with people, he's kind of a hit, right? Like, everybody kind of likes him. And he, he's like, oh, yeah, this is actually fun and I like this. And then he's like, oh, that was a relapse. I got to get back into my weird movie shit. Uh, but, <laughs> but, like, there is a tragic moment there, right? Where he kind of becomes, like, a, a member of like a society <laughs> for a second. And then it's like ripped away from him again. It's really good. Uh, Cody or Kelly, any final thoughts? Um, I just can't believe we've gotten this far without mentioning Pedro Almodovar, uh, <laughs> since, oh, yeah. uh, uh, Zuleta, um, kind of maybe kind of got some artistic start, I think doing posters for some of Almodovar's earlier movies and um, the, just the cast members that they share in common. All four of these leads have been in Almodovar movies. Um, you know, definitely part of the same sort of burgeoning counterculture scene and artistic movement um, in Spain at the time. Um, so yeah, seemed to have like He's, a very cool artistic yeah. friendship and partnership. He does a female character's voice yeah. in this, right? Yes, At one point, yes. which it's is very so weird. That's such a weird. Just as like me not knowing that, just like going it, into this. Oh, like, I, I just thought it was part of the that? movie, right? Like I thought he was having some kind of an audio hallucination yes, where he was hearing himself yeah. talk as another person. But now I think is, it was just. Almodovar. Is there a reason? Is there a reason beyond that for Pedro Almodovar to have voiced this character, like ADR, this female character who is like known to Pedro? Like, I, I was trying to, I tried to square so many circles on this movie, and that was one that just would I mean, not square. It's probably that the audio for that scene got destroyed somehow, right? Like, I'm I'm sure that that probably is, Maybe. is an element of it. Yeah, could be. It could definitely be. Uh, it is. It's pretty jarring. It's uh, almost like satirical or something. The way that you know he makes it's, it sound. It's funny. It's like uh, we were talking right after the movie got over the other night, and I just could not get over how often this movie was fun, like either intentionally or accidentally very funny. It is a humor, and that like I'm sure must play into that, some of that genre confusion. Is like how often are we going to just take the piss out of a scene uh, before we like commit wholeheartedly to not really like saying anything important about these things. Yeah. But then of course it always pulls it back. Every scene sort of has thrust. Every scene has some tie back, at least in retrospect. Well, and I mean, but that's, there are a lot of those moments. That's, that's one of the great ironies of this movie, right? Is that Pedro takes himself so seriously, like terminally seriously, literally by the end of the movie. Uh, and the movie doesn't quite let him have that, right? Like th- this movie is, is so sympathetic to so many people, but it also like, doesn't let anybody have, all of it sort of like like escape without criticism right like to the mm-hmm. point where like the movie doesn't even take oh, itself the way that great. yeah oh yeah. my god yeah. <laughs> i would like the, the first time i was like this movie is not all as serious as I, as I thought it'd be is when uh jose and anna are laying in bed together they're they're high out of their brains and uh, Anna is wearing his robe and he starts to and nothing else. And he peels off his own clothing as he's getting high. He peels off her robe 
and it's like, oh, they're, they're going to, you know, they're going to have sex while they're high, whatever. And then yeah. he just slips the robe on <laughs> slowly and goes back to sleep. Alpha maneuver, I got to say. It's that like is an absolute boss clip. move. It's so fucking funny. If, <laughs> I were not, funny. if I were not concerned about uh, Twitter's content policies, I would probably make that the gift for this episode because that's very funny. But, like, from that moment, it's like every, you know, him sneezing to turn on and off the lights and, like, the freaky reflections that he's got. You don't take most of these moments seriously, which part plays into like that purity that naivete of the character of pedro but it starts to bleed into those other characters too you know throughout the movie yeah. i guess it's like when you come when it comes down to like this was a director directing a movie that he wanted to see something on the screen for like you just take what you can get and like carry what you can with you on that understanding alone uh and like if he wanted this moment to be funny he wanted this moment to be funny and it doesn't have to have any bearing on like and the entire rest of the movie i think that that relates really well to the score right which is like maybe one of the wildest and most experimental parts of this movie where like, I think that like, I don't know if I would call it the main theme, but it is like the recurring theme of the like score of the movie is just like, there are definitely cats. I think that there are ducks at one point, but like there are animals screeching like straight up during this, <laughs> during like major scenes of this movie and just like carnival music. Carnival music. Yeah. 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 Like that shit. Like yeah. Distorted. Yeah, maybe, maybe to- toy animals. Right. It's yeah, yeah. and it it's so it's it's wild. Like I felt like uh well I'm it can be very melancholy yes. at times. Like I, I, I don't the, 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 the film got a, a lot of comparisons to like Lynch's stuff and I don't see too much of it, but I do think that like there is some like kind of melancholy synth work doing a lot of like yeah. weird emotional carrying well, uh, during some of these scenes. Melancholy and like well nice accoutrements and little arias and stuff. And then there are just like moments where for 15 seconds we'll just hear chromatically descending individual square wave notes uh, down to like nearly sub audible bass where it just starts sounding like a clicking that then turns into like it is it is ent- like the the I, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where like the sound, the music and the movie are on two different pages so much. And then eventually like the music just becomes part of the sound design to such yes. a, like incredible harmonic effect. Bizarre. I'm very Bizarre, sorry about so this nice. reference, but it reminded me of fallout new Vegas DLC dead money uh, because there's a, there's a radio station in that DLC that is just um, hammers yep. hammering and then a drill going off <laughs> and I had it on accidentally for most of my playthrough and I thought that that it was like a choice like I didn't realize I had the, the radio on and I was like I was so fascinated by the audio work that was happening where I was like this is like like anti-humanist like video game it's, making because it was so awful to like experience. He wrote, he wrote five think pieces. Yeah, no, I, I, I was yeah. straight up like I was like, okay, I have to like think about. It. And then it was just I turned off the radio. And it was like, oh, I see that now. Oh, yeah. We're we're so far down the rabbit hole. I'm gonna do it. But do you remember when you sent me your one of your favorite? It was like a experimental jazz song from like the Final Fantasy 14 soundtrack. Yeah. And I, I was like. And I clicked on the link and it didn't load. And then I clicked on the link again and then it loaded. And I was like four minutes into this like eight minute song. And I'm like, this is pretty good, but this is some really wild shit. And I, it just, it, it was playing twice over itself. <laughs> it's the same song, just like two copies playing at the same time at different moments. And I was like, fucking yeah, some, some free jazz, <laughs> man. Love it. Fuck yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's, that's oh, what man. I uh, Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. The, the I, I will say very last note, very last note. Uh, between this and possession, the trilon is really killing it with like 
underappreciated kind of cult classic There's like European things, horror yeah. films. Yeah, it's good. Shout out to the Trilon. They Keep do going. Good work yeah. over there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Shout out to the Trilon and everybody who makes those things happen. Um, okay, well, uh, I'm going to call that uh, the final uh, segment of our final uh, thoughts segment. Uh, we have yet to follow up with one final trying to think of another word for segment because i already said it so many times one final bit uh it's called uh harry you need to help us ring it in and kelly would you mind helping us ring in uh our final segment i, I hope you remember how it goes yes it is the segment. Oh, i know i can do it you remember. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we, so, so we're gonna have a little bit of lag just go with what feels natural and i'll line it up it'll be beautiful thank you jason it is the segment we call <gasps> Cody's Cody's. Mm. We got it. Amigos, gracias por la entusiasta presentación. Oh, come uh, on. What I've got for y'all today, <laughs> um, fooled you. What I've got for us today is uh, yet another edition of Trilibs, which, if you're unfamiliar with that amalgamation of letters, it is our attempt at recreating, reimagining, repurposing uh, the world famous game known as Mad Libs, where you take a, a story, a little story with some blanks in it, you fill them in, the people filling in the blanks don't know what, you know, is connecting to what. And by the end of it, you have a, a zany, wild little story to share with uh, your friends, or if you're doing it on a podcast, whoever might be listening after the fact. Uh, so what I've got uh, for y'all is a uh, story somewhat inspired by the movie we just finished talking about. You may pick up on some vague similarities as we go, um, but in the order of the randomly generated order of Jason, Aaron, Kelly, Harry, and then going on a loop for however long we need to before, uh, you know, in order for us to get all the blanks filled in, uh, I will ask y'all for various parts of speech. And by the end of it, we'll have a nice little yarn to share, hopefully. So kicking things off with one, Jason Daphnis. We can share your full name on this pod, right? Nobody knows. It's it. somewhere, yeah. Nobody knows it. Yeah. Uh, so for, uh, from you, Jason, could I please get uh, an occupation, type of occupation? Mechanic. Nice. And I'll be clickety-clacking in the background here as I scurry to type those in. Um, moving along to Aaron. Aaron, from you, could I please get a name? Um, Bach. 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 Like Bach. Yo, how do you imagine? Yeah. How do you imagine that getting spelled? Just for my own purposes. B a c h. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Oh yeah, uh, either a famous musician or a, a famous athlete was named that. Uh, is that That's right? right? Look at that. Checking all the right boxes. Again, scurrying as I fill all those in. We may see that name crop up a few times. Not to, to... Uh, moving along to Kelly. Kelly, from you, could I please get another name? Marta. Nice. Better than Bach. I'm not. I'm not going to look uh, too deeply into what may have inspired that name. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that as it I is. I like the the passive aggressive comments Cody gave us <laughs> oh, when, he, yeah. when he used a name in the movie. <laughs> look, I, they're they're not so much passive aggressive as they are me awkwardly filling time because I don't want dead space as I try to refine. Okay, where's the replace button in Microsoft products? What song yeah. should I? What song should I find and, and pull up? I mean, I guess I can't do that I right now, but. Let's talk. Well, that'll, Let's talk make, about that'll make me feel worse. Let's talk about your future here, Narvison. 
<laughs> Let's not insane. Did you just hit him with not. the end of with Day of the Soldado so you want to be a Sicario? <laughs> Whoa, spoilers for the hated <laughs> Sicario sequel. Um, moving along to Harry. Uh, Harry, from you, could I please get a type of drug? And then after that, could you please um, say for me say, audibly? Sure. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that's a classic. That's a, a classic certified patent. Let's go with what they keep calling heroin horse. I really like that they call heroin horse a bunch in this movie. It's very good. Oh, that is. Shout out to the horse. Come on. The Shout outs to heroin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It has feelings too. Um, Jason, we're, we're heading back to you. Could I please get from you a name? Um, Hans. Ooh. I did see you just watched Die Hard last night. Um, follow Jason on Letterboxd. Uh, so that's presumably where you got that from. And I'm awkwardly talking, filling the spaces. Jason's not playing the song. All right, Aaron, uh, from you, could I please get a type of obsolete technology? Oh, sure. Uh, Abacus. That was really, how did you, that was really quick. <laughs> I don't know what, uh... Yeah, I mean, it's it's near the start of the alphabet. That's right. Mm. Shares the same letter with my first name. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A lot going on. Yeah. It's cl- yeah. You know what? That fits. Uh, Kelly, from you, could I please get, uh, like, a type of relative? Oh. Nephew. Noise. Oh. Here we go. Um, all right. Harry, here's here's one for you. And it is one that we often go back to in the Trilibs vault, and that is the name of a previous Trilove guest. Oh, uh, let's go with... Would it be weird to do Kelly? Is Kelly going to be a part of the the sh- episode otherwise, or is that spoilers? Uh, it will not factor too heavily or weirdly. I think I'm going so to wanna... have to go with Nick Rosen, honestly. <laughs> I, think, I think it's got to be Nick. <laughs> It's always hey, Nick really, Rosen. We always return to my brother. Yeah, that's Does true. your brother have any uh, of that putty Alpha goop? And the stuff? Omega. I feel like of the people that I know and know about, your brother is the closest person to like a putty owner I can imagine. Other than other than a certain sandwich that we talked about off mic, uh, I think my brother, it, though weird, is not not a wait. Has ketchup not a has freak. ketchup bread ever come up on Trilibs? That might be the loudest thing you've Jesus ever Christ. said on this podcast, Harry. <laughs> We're just talking about ketchup. I'm excited. Anyway, continue, please. No more in-jokes on the pod. Please continue. Yeah, it's too much. It's too much. Oh, I hope that filled enough, uh, up enough time for you, though, Cody. Yeah. yeah, no, more than enough. Um, Jason, back to you. Can I get an adjective, please? Um, for example, like ketchupy would be an adjective. Ketchupy. Uh, well, if I can't find it in the, in the dictionary. Um, sure. Lazy. I almost did lazily, but then I had to go back to first grade. You know, what y'all say doesn't exactly fit the structure. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll tweak it a little bit. I know that's like raising. Are you goose? Are you goose in the the libs, Cody? Is that what on the back end? You're greasing the libs on the back end. No, I'm. Uh, I, I believe the term is rat fucking. I think we're that, becoming a podcast to grease the limbs. <laughs> oh, speaking of speaking of a little bit of grease, Aaron, we're back to you. Uh, could I please get a number? 
Uh, seven. That's my lucky Good. number. Yep. Ooh. Um, to the Bible. I have nothing to follow that up with other than I'll try to get you like seven of something going forward. Just a sweatshirt. Isn't seven just letter. generally a lucky letter number? Seven? I feel like you don't yeah, just claim seven yeah. is your lucky number. That's like saying that. Know, oh, four these clovers. I've always found these very lucky. <laughs> well, <laughs> they're lucky for you. Yeah, of I'm getting him. Yeah. Did you hear the crickets there? That was chirp, the sound chirp, of chirp. you. I'm sorry. I have a soundboard, but I don't have crickets on it. <laughs> I know. I just, you know, we'll fill that in later or we won't. And by we, I mean Jason. Over to Kelly. Uh, Kelly, from you, could I please get a type of toy? Oh. Uh, one of those little telephones that you drag and it kind of squeaks or makes sounds. Little toddlers use. Yeah. Please use that entire, that entire sentence <laughs> as a descriptor, please. That you dragged. Uh, <laughs> just one of those things where it's like, I feel like I've never heard of a toy before. It's super sad. Cody, if you just say toy, toy telephone, I'm leaving this podcast. Kelly, I feel that same way every time Cody asks me anything, including like a verb Numbers, or a numbers. noun. I'm like, oh, oh fuck, yeah. you're asking me for a, a noun. Name. I don't know what a noun is. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's i'm very happy to be on this side of it and in a non-judgmental way you know if you can't think of something i will throw you suggest uh suggestions like you know ketchupy um harry uh over to you once more could i please get from you another type of obsolete technology oh um hmm like uh let's go with a um a walkman nice classic obsolete technology um okay let's see where are we at where are we at we're back to jason and jason what we need from you please is a verb crash nice now we are back to aaron aaron from you could i please get a verb uh stomp been playing too much Elden Ring. You know, I haven't used the stomp in this. Wow. That's a video game, Cody. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, y'all were talking about Fallout earlier, and I tried to make a big show of it on these, like, little cameras. And after Harry said video game, you may have seen me go like, oh, that's what that is. (laughs) Um, It's all about the theatrics that nobody else will see nor care about, except for me. And that's why I do it. Um, Kelly, I think we're back to you. Could I please get from you a type of vehicle? Ooh. A Volvo. Precision German engineering. Oh, yeah. Um, Harry, from you, could I please get a noun? Ketchup bread. God damn it. Come on. Let my brother have peace. (laughs) No. No, that's um, not why. Yeah, I'm just tired of hearing about it. If any of you are filling this in at home, uh, I put a hyphen between ketchup and bread. Um, I put a hyphen between ketchup and bread. <laughs> I over I over hyphenate things. That's my biggest f- weakness and my biggest strength. It's ketchup um, and it's bread. <laughs> it's ketchup bread. Um, Jason, I'm doing a scan here. I believe. You have the honor of filling in the final space, Ooh. which uh, out of left field here. Could I get from you the name of a movie? Ooh, the pest. <laughs> Future episode, baby. 
<laughs> so let's go. I was talking with somebody about the pest like a few days ago. I don't. I'm very surprised. Yeah, you're always that. fucking talking about the pest. Like we're supposed <laughs> no, to be they were pests. saying it was one of their favorite childhood films. Was wow, the pest. sicko! Put him in jail. Yeah. Oh lord. Um. Well, until that happens, I think we have reached the end of this. If there are some spaces that I've missed, we'll just you know address those in the moment. And um, my lack of mental prowess this uh you know this morning made it so i couldn't think of a, a truly unique witty name to this so i'll just say without further ado i am pleased to present to the world trilibs colon rapture <clears throat> there once was a budding mechanic named bach bach lived with their on again off again partner martha and both bach and martha were addicted to horse we snaw one day bach received a package from an old friend named Hans. The package contained an abacus along with some notes about some home movies that Hans had been creating. Together, Bach and Marta reflected on their time spent with Hans. Bach remembered how they met Hans through a nephew named Nick Grossman. During their first meeting, consumption of horse had left them feeling lazy. So together, they stayed up seven consecutive days and nights, tapping into shared nostalgia and old little telephones that you drag and they make sounds kept them grounded. Their experiences had linked their spirits together, and now, oh boy, Aaron, give me a number. I know I missed one. Uh, 42. Thank you. And now, 42 years later, uh, Hans was back in Bach's life. Hans found a new type of addiction. You ready for this? Using a Walkman to crash themselves while they stomp. Deceptively complex. Bach left via Volvo to meet Hans in hopes that they could shed some light on this new development. By the time that Bach arrived, all that was left of Hans was a Walkman, some no, ketchup no. bread, and a Blu-ray oh, no. of The Pest. Without hesitation, <laughs> Bach inserted the Blu-ray into the Walkman, curled up on top of the ketchup bread, closed their eyes, and waited patiently for a new type of enrapturing to take hold. The end. Honestly, that oh just sounds like God. freshman year. That I think <laughs> that's that very similar. Yeah. <laughs> Is that how it happened? Not enough monster energy drink in that story, but other than that, it's it's pretty close. Yeah. I hope your brother Next lives time. a long, happy, and like prosperous life. Blue. Aaron, we, yeah. we, yeah, we yeah, should talk way too much. Me too. Oh, God. All right. Uh, Cody, thank you, as always, for ending our episodes on a wonderfully fun note. Uh, and thank you, Kelly, for joining us for another uh, wonderful episode of Trilove. Remind everybody where everybody can follow find you, I guess. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Kranzakaga underscore, and uh, I do my, my film broing on Letterboxd uh, under the username Lucky Haas. Lucky Haas. Find her there, uh, ladies and gents. Uh, and at our previous episode, I forget which number, but of Wings of Desire, which is another great episode. We talk a lot about uh, Nick Cave in that one. And I saw comparisons between uh, Nick Cave and the character of of Pedro in this movie when he's got his hair all schloopy and stuff. Uh, it's yeah. it's the yeah, fix they're both is hot. That's this, the comparison. You got I, it. I, I was I was so struck by how Pedro could look like two different people if he's got the Almodovar poofy hair or if he's got like the slick back greaser hair. Uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I have to sign off of this podcast. So uh, thank you very much for listening to another wonderful episode of Trilove. I'm gonna you know burnish our own uh, uh, that 
badge, I guess. I'm going to come up with a new one uh, eventually. But uh, check out uh, the Trilon's programming schedule. I'll scroll up and tell you what they've got coming in the next couple of months. They've got Dishonorable Distinction, Bruce Dern's 1970s, 1970s in April, uh, Agnes Varda in uh, May 2022, Ishiro Honda's Godzilla also in May 2022. Just go to Trilon.org, see all of their programming schedules and get tickets and cool ways to support them there. Uh, for right now, I'm Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. This has been Trilove. We're on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. Uh, find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and Trilon.org. Thank you. Please do all of those things. Uh, thank you, Kelly, for returning to the show. Um, I, I made a, a funny a funny remark about my greatest strengths and, and weaknesses. My actual, um, I think, biggest weakness or you know, curse, uh, affliction, whatever you want to call it, is um, for the past couple of days, I can't help but uh, in my head just repeat over and over the tune of Domo Arrebato, Mr. Roboto. Um, I hate it. Hopefully, now that we've we've covered the movie, I can um, cleanse my my brain of that. Um, no. Really, uh, another good stew. Uh, I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. It's really interesting you bring that up, Cody, because I had the exact same thing happen to me, but with that one French song. Wait, that uh, it kept getting like I've been thinking about it nonstop. Haven't been able to. You can even do it with the director's last name, which was a, a horrifying realization that I had um, on this podcast. So I'm sure it'll be weeks for me yet. But uh, so look forward to that. In the meantime, um, I'm Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shitaki Harry. Thanks again, Kelly. That was great. Yeah, thank you. My name's Aaron. You can find me on Twitter at RB Please. Good thing I took out my contacts.